0: Father God, as we meet this morning, a 100 years after the start of the First World War, we are aware that there's still much conflict in the world. It is still an unstable place. And so we thank you this morning that you are still in control. You are still our refuge, that we can find strength and peace in you. And with you by our side, we don't need to fear whatever may happen in our own lives and whatever may happen in the life of the world. So we pray that you'd be with us this morning as we remember those who have given their lives that we may enjoy peace and freedom in this country. And as we remember Jesus, the one who gave his life, that we may enjoy peace with you. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, today, as you know, is Remembrance Sunday, and this year is quite a special one because it's 100 years since the start of the First World War, and uh, many uh, young men went off to fight, uh, thinking they'd probably be back home by Christmas. But actually, after a few months, they soon realised that war wasn't quite as glamorous as they may have thought when they went off. And uh, death, war is not a good thing, is it? It brings death. It brings pain. It brings loss. From that first Christmas in 1914, something happened which showed that the people involved were still normal people, still made in the image of God. And we're going to watch um, the trailer of a film, some of you may have seen, um, about the events of that first Christmas 1914 in the First World War. It's called Joyeux Noël and um, we're going to watch the, the video and um, I'll make some comments afterwards. Well, what that film shows is that um, the people fighting in that war, whatever side they were on, still had a, a lot in common. They had families back at home. They shared the same interests. They enjoyed food. They shared food on that day. They enjoyed music. They even enjoyed a good game of footy, got a football out and played a game of football. And at the end of the day, they all wanted peace. They may not have wanted to be fighting in that war. They just wanted to live at peace and go home. And that is really the problem with mankind, isn't it? We all want peace. And the biggest peace that we need is peace with God. Because that is why Jesus came. He came to bring us peace with God. And when we experience peace with God, um, that is when we can experience peace with other countries, uh, with other nations, with the neighbours in our street. Because Jesus came to get rid of the thing that stopped us having peace with God. That was our sin, our self-centeredness, all the things that we do that stop us loving God. He came and he dealt with those on the cross so that we can enjoy peace with God. And that is really what today is about, is remembering those who've died, who made that sacrifice so that we can enjoy peace now. But we're here this morning to remember the peace that we enjoy with God. We're going to pray, and then the group will carry on leading us in our worship in song. Let's just pray, though. Lord, we thank you for for Marjorie. Thank you for her life, for her upbringing, for the things that she's experienced, and for bringing her to faith through a tragic accident. Thank you that there was at least some good that came out of um, that disaster. Uh, we do pray for peace in this world, Lord. We do um, Uh, thank you for all that we have in common with many people you've made in your own image, and help us to see that in them, so that we can live in peace with those around us. And Lord, we thank you for the peace that Jesus brings. I thank you that it is by trusting in him that we have peace with you. And may all of us know that, in Jesus' name. Amen. you take a seat, we're going to go um, into a, a video which um, will lead us into the two-minute silence, helps us to just gather our thoughts and reflect on what we are remembering this morning. Can I ask you all to stand? And let's remember in silence before God all those who have died as a result of war and conflict. Father of mercies and God, Of all comfort, we pray this day for all those who continue to suffer because of war. Widows, orphans, all who are bereaved. The wounded, crippled, the deaf, the dumb, the blinded. The shell-shocked, the traumatised. Refugees without home, work or country. Grant them all your healing and strength, your help and consolation and use us in this service, we pray. We pray for peace in your world, for all national leaders, that they may have wisdom to know and courage to do what is right. For all men and women, that their hearts may be turned to yourself in the search for righteousness and truth. For those who are working to improve international relationships, that they may find the true way of reconciliation. So may your world discover and know that peace, which is your purpose for us all. And we pray for ourselves. Those whom you have called to live as brothers and sisters in love and harmony. And have given your son to be our saviour, the Prince of Peace. Help us to give our lives to your service. Help us to strive for reconciliation, understanding and peace in all our relationships. For the sake of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And the Saviour of the world. Amen. Great. So we're now going to have our reading. Catherine Kurtz is going to come and read uh, for us from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. And you'll find that on page 1175 of the Church Bibles. Thanks. Mark, who is our speaker
1: this morning? Sermon. I would remind us that the wonder of the gospel was explained in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and we move on to consider how the gospel impacts the church in practical ways. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love and each part does its work
2: thanks very much uh, for reading and uh, good morning it's really great to uh, welcome you all here this morning particularly if you're a visitor you're really welcome with us and uh, it'd be great to get to know you after the service Um, do come and say hello Um, Please do keep that passage open if you've got a Bible uh, Maybe as you were reading that you were thinking A lot of that doesn't make much sense And how is that possibly going to be relevant to me this week Um, Keep it open, I'm going to try and explain it to you uh, To help you Um, Also I've put some handouts together For some of the older teens who are in the service this morning Hopefully you were given them when you came in A few of you up there have got them I think Just help you to follow what I'm going to say So if that's helpful you've got them Um, So uh, hopefully that will help you should we come to God in prayer as we come to look at this passage together? Heavenly Father, sometimes your word can be difficult to understand, and so we need your help. We thank you that in this passage we look at together this morning, you paint a picture of what you want your church to be like. And so I pray that you'd help us to not just hear what you have to say to us, but help us to respond that we can increasingly become your church And the people you want us to be, Amen. Amen. Great. Well, we're continuing this series, looking at the Book of Ephesians. Uh, It was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus to encourage them. Um, And we're going to look at the. We're beginning now, Chapter Four. Uh, Ephesians has got six chapters. Neil's taken us through the first three chapters, and now I'm going to take us through the back three chapters. And really, what's coming now that I'm going to teach is building on everything that Neil has already been teaching us. now, Jackie, don't embarrass you, but underneath the uh, stool on the piano, there is an envelope cellar taped underneath. Just wondering if you could open it and show us what's in it. Yeah, Christmas has come early. Do you want to hold that up? I've never seen one before. There's the big one, 50. A big note. Now, that £50 pound note is a bit like ephesians chapters one to three when you're given a 50 pound note it's like when you come to understand the christian gospel you become a christian it's just amazing and perhaps you're here today and you're just visiting and you don't understand what we believe as christians or you don't believe it yet i just want to encourage you to think seriously about who jesus christ is and what he has done for you because when you come to understand who he is It's a little bit like finding a 50-pound note, although it's so much better understanding who he is. That's just the biggest note I can get my hands on. (laughs) It's just amazing. And the first three chapters that Neil has been unpacking have really helped us understand what the gospel is, uh, who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us, all that he's given us, um, the fact that we can be adopted into his family, that we can be forgiven, the fact that we can have a purpose in our life, we can have security after we die. The first three chapters are the 50-pound note. It's amazing when you find them. Now, Jackie, sorry to burst your bubble. Could you give me the 50-pound note, please? (laughs) Sorry about this. Thank you very much. I'll just tuck that on the way safely. What's just happened there is a picture of Ephesians 4 to 6. You see, when you find something that's amazing, when you come to understand who Jesus is, you don't just sit there thinking he's amazing. You actually have to respond and Jackie's just responded to the amazing gift that she received by giving it to me which is very kind of her. <laughs> Ephesians 4 to 6 is all about our response. So when you've come to understand the gospel, what's it going to look like to know Jesus Christ? What difference will it look like in our families, in our churches, in our workplaces? So it's really practical three chapters we're going to look at over 4 weeks. What difference does knowing Jesus make? I want you to grasp, have a look at chapter 4, verse 1, because there's a challenge right at the beginning. It says here, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What Paul is saying here is when you come to belong to Jesus Christ, and the phrase that Neil's unpacked a number of times in the previous weeks is that phrase, in Christ. So I belong to him, I'm forgiven, I'm part of his family. When you're in Christ, that comes with a responsibility, Chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That word urge there is an imperative, it's a command. Paul's not saying I suggest that you live a life worthy of the calling. It's kind of a really strong word, I urge you. It comes with real force and comes with passion because he really wants us to grasp as a church the difference that he makes. Uh, If you're a visitor today and you're just with us, it's great that you're here. As we unpack this chapter this morning, uh, it just paints a bit of a picture of what the church is like. It's a little window into the church that God wants us to be here in Long Crendon. I'm just going to watch a short video clip. Uh, If you could just play the first 53 seconds, that would be great. Um, It's a little clip that basically unpacks the heart of this little passage. Have a look at this. No, it's not coming. Never mind. Okay, it's a funny little cartoon where um, some crabs are on the beach and a seagull is coming above and the seagull descends on the little crabs and he makes a, a, a he's shooting for the crabs. He wants to pick one up and eat it. And then all the crabs, he gets his little pincers together like this and all the crabs come together and they stick their pincers up in the air and the seagull suddenly arrests himself and he gets spiked on the, his backside and all his feathers come off. And it's just a funny little video, but what it shows is the strength of unity. If that crab stayed on his own, He was in real trouble when the seagull came. But when they all come together, he's strong. And this passage is all about unity. How, as a church, we can be united. Now, I think there's two mistakes we can make as a church in terms of unity. The first one is we can just assume that we're united. Perhaps here because we've got a rich heritage, because we've got healthy numbers, because we've got a strong doctrinal basis. We can just assume that we'll be united as a church. In uh, uh, 2008, I was teaching up at a school in Warwickshire, and uh, I was given the under-16B rugby team. Now, they weren't very good. Uh, in fact, they were so bad that in the previous year, across three sports, they played rugby, then football, then cricket, they had won only one match. So they were pretty bad, and I was given the challenge of looking after this group. Now I soon realized that they weren't gonna be able to just be coached out of their problem because they weren't particularly talented players. So I decided I'd spend most of my time trying to build them into a team. Just because they had the numbers one to 15 on their backs didn't mean that they actually played very well together. So I had all the boys around my house to have pasta, I did video analysis of their games. That doesn't happen for under-16 B teams. (laughs) Uh, I did a report on the game for them, you know, how they'd done well. Just little things to help them feel valued. But it brought them together as a team. And suddenly they started playing incredibly well together. They weren't very good, but they started winning matches. And in that season, we won eight games. It was amazing. All because they were united. But we mustn't assume unity. As we come to chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul talks about all that the devil wants to do to break up the unity of the church. So we can't assume that we'll be united. But the second thing I want you to notice is that unity in the church is a gift. I mean, you look around this room, we are the most incredible mix of individuals, aren't we? We all look very different, we're all from different backgrounds. And you might ask the question what is it that brings us together? why are we all here and wanting to love each other and get to know each other when really we have nothing in common humanly speaking Paul says that unity in the church is a gift and if you look at the previous chapter he said in verses 16 to 19 that it's the love of Jesus that unites us as a church that's why when we're so completely different we can be one and Paul in our passage talks about unity doesn't he Did you notice chapter 3, verse 20, which is the verse just before our passage this morning? Paul says that unity is a gift. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church. Paul's not just speaking there about unity, but he's going on to talk about it in the next chapter. So part of what he means is. That what Jesus does is gives us the gift of unity in the church. And that's why then there's the call in our chapter. Have a look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity. Do you notice in that phrase, we don't create unity. But we are called to preserve it. Make every effort to keep the unity. And one of our responsibilities as a church is to make every effort to keep that unity that God has actually bought for us in the cross. Now how do you do that? This passage says that attitude is the key. Attitude is the key. Just look at verses 1 to 3. There's a little sandwich there. Chapter uh, verse 1 there's a command, make every effort. Uh, sorry, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Verse 3 there's a command Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. What's right in the middle of those two commands? Paul's talking about attitude. One of the things that helps keep, promotes unity in the church is a growth in Christian character. Now I just want to show you a little picture. It's going to come up, there you go. That is an ergo, an ergometer. It's a rowing machine and you find one of these in a gym Now, I often go to the gym and sit on one of these things. I have a love-hate relationship with this machine. Um, It gets me fit when I go on it. But the problem is, I can never beat this machine. I can never say, I am fit. Because I could always row longer. I could always row harder. Would you notice in this passage, Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Perhaps you know people who are humble and who are gentle and that's an amazing thing. But are they completely humble? Completely gentle? Is that true for you? Because growing in Christian character is a little bit like going on the rowing machine. I can never say I'm there. I am the perfect Christian. I have fully developed my character as God has been at work in me. There's always more work that God wants to do in our hearts. Just like there's always more work that I can do on the rowing machine. But Paul says that attitude is key to preserving unity in the church. And he talks about it in there in verse two, doesn't he? Humility, not pride. Gentleness, not being harsh. Patience, not getting frustrated. Bearing with each other, not getting at each other. Now just as a little challenge for you, uh, here are three little G's that can often be a problem that can prevent unity in the church and help us growing in christian character uh, the first one is grumbling grumbling is really dangerous in the church perhaps i don't get my own way perhaps things change and i don't like them because it's not as i always had them perhaps i fall out with someone i just grumble but grumbling can be really dangerous in the church uh, the second one is gossip I think as Christians often we're really bad at this. Um, Someone shares something in confidence with us, and we go to a trusted friend and say, "I know I shouldn't really tell you this, but," or "They've told me not to tell you, but I trust you. You're not going to tell anyone, are you?" And we just gossip and we go sideways. Perhaps someone's hurt us, and we don't go to that problem, to the person to sort the problem, but we just go to a friend. Gossip can break us apart as a church. Grumbling, gossip, and greed. Uh, all sorts of ways we can be greedy. We can be greedy financially, but we can be greedy with our time. Just wanting things to revolve around us, wanting our life to be easy. Uh, just a challenge for us. Uh, let's not be a grumbling church, or a greedy church, or a gossiping church. Because if we go sideways or allow problems to fester, that's what can split the church apart. And yet Paul here is calling for unity. Well, that's the call for unity that comes in the first few verses. But then Paul moves on. And he says, okay, so what is the means of unity? How as a church do you actually stay united? And interestingly, Paul says that one of the ways you stay united as a church is by hearing the voice of God. Do you notice back in chapter 2, Paul explained that the church is not a building. We have a most amazing building here, but the church is not this building. The church is a community of people. And the end of chapter 2 said that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation for the building. Then you come to our little chapter here. And verses 8 to 10 are quite complex. I don't want to go into details trying to explain it. Perhaps as the reading was going on, you're thinking, what is that about? Um, I'd love to perhaps explain later to you if you're particularly interested. Because Paul makes a really interesting use of the Old Testament here. But the point he's making, take it from me is that he's saying in verses 8 to 10, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and he gives gifts to his church. That's what those funny verses are all about. Do you see in verse 7, grace has been given. And in 11, it was he who gave. At the heart of the Christian gospel, we believe, is a God who wants to give. And Paul here says that one of the ways you preserve unity of church is through the gifts that he gives the church. Now, God has given us his son so that we can be forgiven. The Father and Son have given us his spirit who lives within us if we put our trust in him to help us to live a life that pleases him. But do you notice a surprise here? One of the gifts that Paul really centers in on in verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now they're all different words he's describing perhaps different people but you notice the same function they all are people who teach or proclaim the word of God. So Paul is saying one of the key ways that we stay united as a church is through the gifts that God gives and one of the key gifts that God gives the church is teachers. Teachers are more important than anyone else in the church but they are a gift that he gives to his church because it's through teachers that we hear the voice of God. if we've been united in Christ, the challenge to us is, will we listen to Christ? And that's the challenge I just want to put to each of us is, is that reflected in your life? Are you listening to the voice of God? One of, one of the things we're thinking as a leadership team of the church is perhaps starting a little time before the service where those who are able, who perhaps haven't got other responsibilities, could come together and pray. But particularly in that gathering, Pray for the service. Pray that those who speak would proclaim the gospel clearly. Pray for all of our hearts that as we come here, we would hear the voice of God. That we wouldn't just come to church to hear information, but pray that we'd all come to church to be changed. I think that'd be a great thing. I'd love to as well highlight this little booklet, Uh, Listen Up. Uh, I bought a a few copies of this. They're out in the bookstall. Uh, You can have them for a pound. It's just a great little booklet that helps you understand a little bit more about how to listen to the word of God when it's proclaimed. It's just a really helpful resource. How to hear the voice of God. Sometimes when you don't feel like the sermon's really connecting with your heart. When sometimes you're struggling. It's just a really great resource. And this will help you, I hope understand a bit more and listen well because we come to church to work we don't just come here to sit and just assume that whatever's spoken from the front just gets absorbed into our bodies and then we go home and it's all very nice we do come here to work to learn so that we can be built together and then sent out well if the church is united in the gospel and if this is a church where the gospel is taught the really big question that Paul wants to go on to is this what will the church look like? And this is what he goes on to explain in the, in the last few verses. What is the fruit of unity? What should this church look like? I said at the beginning, this little chapter is really a picture of what the church should be. And this is where Paul hones in on what it should look like. And the first thing he says, is if we want to be a mature church, it will look like a mature... If, we want to, um, if we're united, sorry, in, in Christ, we will be a mature church. If you've put your trust in Jesus, here's a question. Do you treat your trust in him more like a stamp in a passport? Or like a growing relationship? See, sometimes I put my trust in Jesus and I then think that's like the stamp in my passport. I belong to him. He's forgiven me. I've got security for the future. I know where I'm going and that's amazing. But then we just sort of carry on our life and what he has done doesn't continue to have an impact in our life. But what Paul wants to get at is that putting your trust in Jesus isn't so much a stamp in the passport, but it's more about growing in a relationship, an ongoing relationship with him. So you see, you and I are a bit like some cheeses or wines. Let me explain. It's not because some of us are smelly. Some cheeses and some wines mature with age, don't they? But not all. And we won't automatically mature as Christians just because we get older as Christians. Now, amazingly, often it's the older people in the church who are a great gift to the church, who are some of the most mature people. And there are many older people in this church who are an incredible blessing to the church. But you don't automatically become more mature as a Christian just because you get older as a Christian. I love the verse at the beginning of Ephesians where Paul is praying and he says, I pray... That you would come to know Christ better. But for that to be true, we have to understand that Jesus Christ isn't so much a commodity to consume or an idea to talk about. He's a person. And we have to get to know him better. But Paul here, when he talks about maturity, isn't talking about individuals. He's talking about the maturity of the whole church. You see in the passage, so that we may be built up, verse 12... Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature now, That maturity there is talking about the whole church, but if we together as to become more mature, what's got to happen? Individuals in the church have to become more mature So I guess the challenge to you is are you taking some responsibility? for your own growth as a Christian because There's a responsibility of teachers in the church to teach and we need to think about how we can teach effectively and be teaching more But actually every christian has a responsibility to mature because you don't just mature as a christian automatically can I encourage you here perhaps you're feeling a bit discouraged at the moment. Maybe life is just frighteningly busy maybe you're a young mum and Life is just like you wake up in the morning. It's like getting through the day if that's you can I just challenge you? Can you just find five minutes in a day? Because five minutes could be five minutes more than you are currently having. And it could be a real blessing just to sit down and slow down somehow, somewhere, and listen to the voice of God. Because if you add up all those little five minutes through each week and each month and each year, you will mature. Can I encourage you with that? And can I encourage you, if you're, if you're perhaps saying... I feel quite immature, I don't really feel I've grown. Don't beat yourself up, don't worry about it, but just ask yourself, what could I do today to help myself mature as a Christian? God's the one who does the work in me, but I still have a responsibility. What could I do just to mature? Because if you don't want to mature, and if you treat Jesus a bit more like the passport, I'm in, I belong to him, and less like a growing in a relationship, actually when you don't mature, you look around at the other people who are sitting here, you're letting them down because if we're all maturing and growing in Christ-likeness, in Christian character we'll become more united it's just a challenge for you second thing, do you notice in this passage he says one of the other fruits of unity being united as a church you're not just mature but you're also stable do you see this little picture here is that characteristic of your life because the immature Christian is a more unstable Christian And it's a bit like being a little boat caught in a massive sea. And here the waves are, they come crashing over us. We're living in a world that's really difficult. All sorts of pressures come in our way. And if you're an immature Christian, you're going to be like a tiny little boat tossed around in the waves. That's what Paul says. Verse 14, you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Why is this really important? I think it's because we're living in a culture where increasingly truth is undermined. And if you stay an immature Christian, don't grow up, it'll be very hard to discern what God's will is for your life, how he wants you to respond to the, the big issues, of, the big ethical issues that are hitting our country, the big issues surrounding sexuality, many of the other big political issues around the world. We don't know how to respond to these things. We're not going to be stable. And we'll hear other teachings. We'll hear people talking at the lunch break at work. We'll hear people talking at school. And we won't really know where we're going. And just like this passage, Paul describes us, we'll be like a little boat tossed around in the waves. One of the fruits of being united around Jesus Christ and growing is we'll be mature. The second one is that we will be stable. And here's the last one. And this is really what the whole passage is driving at ministry. See, the purpose of being united and growing together as a church is ministry. But when I say ministry, I'm not talking about what I do for a living, teaching God's word. I'm talking about what you do, whether you're working, whether you're retired, whether you're at school. If you're a Christian, your life is ministry. And it's no less or no more valuable than what I do as a minister. We're all ministers. And Paul's really passionate about this. You know, in chapter two, he said, God has created in advance good works for you to do. And in our chapter, he said in chapter 4, verse 1, didn't he? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He said in verse 12 that the teachers in the church are to prepare God's people for works of service. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 16, each part does its work. What's Paul getting at? He's saying, if you're a Christian, you are a minister. He has brought us together as a church to serve. But then the question is, what is our ministry? Would you see it there in verse 15? Speaking the truth in love. This here isn't ultimately an exhortation to truthfulness in general, though that's an important thing. It's actually talking about all of us as a church being part of a confessing church. How do I know that? Because in chapter 1 verse 13 don't know if you remember It talked about the word of truth Which is what? The gospel of your salvation So when Paul then comes in, verse, in our chapter And talks about his desire for us as a church To speak the truth in love He's not just saying be loving and be truthful Though those things are important He's saying speak the truth in love Is speaking the gospel in love It's sharing what we believe That's transformed our life with other people And I want us just to grasp, as we come to the close now, that everything we do as a church then is building towards that aim. So we want to be a church where we can say to people, come and see, come and see who Jesus is. Come and see what this community is about. Uh, Last week we went for a walk, just some men in the church and some friends. We had a great day up in Snowdonia, getting soaking wet, covered in mud. It was brilliant. (laughs) But part of that was just building relationships with people. Come and see what it's like just to meet some people from the church and have fun together Uh, there's the sports quiz coming up at the end of November come and see come and have a great evening together and come and hear a little bit about what we believe we want to be a church that's caring and serving engaging with our local community and Neil just mentioned that in the evenings for the next few weeks he's going to be unpacking what it means to care and serve in our community because the message we believe as Christians is heard in a context and we need to engage in the world that we're in we need to be out there not just in here. And the final thing is as a church we want to be helping and equipping each other to go and tell. To not be ashamed of what we believe, but to go out and share this news with others. If we're all working towards this aim, that means that when you come to church and you're serving in one of the teams, you're you're working towards that same aim. It means when you're serving coffee or cleaning the toilets, Or pressing the buttons up on the PA. You're not just doing a job on a rotor to say, tick, I've done my job. But you are playing a part in this speaking the truth in love. You're playing your part in sharing the gospel with others. And when we as a whole church grasp that, then the gifts that God has given us, we're not just using to do jobs. We're using our gifts to the same goal, which is that as a church, we will speak the truth in love. That this church will be a confessing church. Helping other people who don't know Jesus. Come to, hear, to know him for themselves. Right, we're going to close here just with a bit of maths. It's the last thing we'll do. Uh, but don't worry because I can't do maths. There's no numbers, there's no algebra. This is word maths. This basically summarises this chapter, okay? Just grasp this and then you can take this away with you. And think it through for yourself this week. Unity in Christ... Which is the first three chapters and the beginning of chapter four, plus leaders who teach, plus disciples who learn and grow, that's all of us, equals maturity and stability and ministry. It's God who's called us to be united, it's God who keeps us united. And it's God then who wants to use our unity to bear fruit. So, my challenge I leave with all of us today is let's go out from here to serve each other, to serve our community, and to serve God in response to all that He's given us in the gospel. Why don't you just take a moment of quiet just to reflect on some of the things we've been looking at together. writes, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as a church we're united in you. You have brought us together, people who are so completely different but in the Lord Jesus Christ we are one. And We thank you that you brought us together not just to be A little group that meets on Sunday but a group who works and thank you that the work you've called us to is to speak the truth in love to share the great gospel that's changed our lives with those who don't yet know you for themselves I pray that you would help us all to take responsibility to be growing as Christians that we would be mature that we would be stable and that then we would be able to serve Thank you for this passage and I pray that you would help us this coming week to continue thinking through all that this could mean for our lives. Please help us to stay united as a church and help us to use our unity to serve you. Amen. That's the end of the service. It'd be great though if you can stick around. We've got um, some refreshments through um, in the next room so please do stay. Particularly if you're a visitor. I just want to welcome you here. It would be great to get to know you. So please um, do stay. And we'd love to hear a little bit about you. Um, but thank you for coming. I hope that all we've been thinking of this morning will help us and encourage us. And that we go out from here, not just today, remembering all the important things we need to remember in terms of remembrance. And all those who've given their lives for us. But also think, in response to Jesus Christ who gave his life for us, how we can serve as a church. Let me pray as we close. Christ himself gave the apostles, teachers, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, would that be true for us at this church in this week ahead? Amen. Amen.